Jesus famously says, come and follow me, which in so many ways really means come and copy the details of my life. There is this uh, ancient phrase about being covered, this idea of being covered in the dust of your rabbi. Like you're walking so close to your teacher that actually the dust from their shoes as they walk is getting up all over you. We, we too often have a tendency to reduce following Jesus to his theological and moral teachings. And we forget that there is this sort of third bedrock below these two, which is his lifestyle, his moral vision. His moral vision comes out of the way that he actually lived. He says, my way is narrow. My, my way, my way of being in the world is narrow. And if you're like me, you grew up around church maybe, and you, you thought that phrase had something specifically to do with hell. But first and foremost, it, it actually means that there is a very particular way that Jesus is inviting us to live, to be in the world. There is the, the sort of broad way that he describes, which you could attach all sorts of things to in this moment. It'd be like our, our the larger cultural narratives around us, the West, um, versions of secularism. Uh, it, it is the do what feels best or what feels good. You go wherever you want. This is sort of the broad way. And in Jesus's mind, there are ways of living that lead to death and there are ways that actually lead to life. And so where we may hear constantly voices around us, narratives around us that say, um, you know, do uh, an invitation to sort of do what you want, a sort of faux freedom is how you're supposed to experience life. And then you look around, at least, you know, depressingly to look at so many of the statistics right now. And it, it seems as though everyone is anxious and depressed and lonely. And there's so much dysfunction relationally, sexually within families. There's rampant insecurity. I don't know if we just have ways to measure this now and people have always been like this, but honestly, every report I read from across the spectrum, it's like, no, this is just sort of everywhere. Happiness has never been lower as far as we are able to gauge happiness. Year after year, as our wealth actually goes up and as our rights and so many versions of freedom go up because we think that the road, that particular road will lead to life. And and I think deep down, all of us, even if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, we sort of crave a narrower way. And I say all this because we need to think about following Jesus, not just through a theological lens or a moral lens, but as a way of life that we take on. We are to pattern our lives. I like that phrase. We're to pattern our lives after Jesus. Now, this series that we're in, and if you missed the last couple of weeks, I don't always need you to go back and listen to those to get caught up, but I want to encourage you to do that, to go back, listen to the podcast or the videos, um, just so you know where we're kind of tracking right now. This series is meant to help us think about what sorts of patterns and what sorts of practices we need right now, and we need as a whole community. Um, to kick off the season of Lent, we began this collection of talks called Our Path, or a better title that I was talked down from because it's a bit cheeky, but it's like the your path with the parentheses around the hour, like the way your path intersects with ours. This will lay a foundation for our church for the next like unforeseen future, for the next maybe decade of our church. Many of you have a game plan for how you think about walking through life. You have a, a rule of life is what the ancients have called it. Um, and if you've never heard of this phrase, no worries. We'll keep get into this more and more with our home church guides and as the series goes on. But quickly put, a rule of life is just a, it's a game plan. It's a set of practices to guard our habits and to guide our lives. 
And so what we've never done at Sanctuary until now, and really what the church has done in some fashion for centuries, is to create a rule of life for our whole church. To put, as I silly, like in a silly way put it a couple of weeks back, like a common way that we roll together, establishing marked out practices that define the way that we will live together as a church. A doctrinal statement, like a set of beliefs or some sort of general affinity for specific programs cannot be the only thing that bind us together. A shared path has to be at the center. So again, as we continue on through Lent, want to bring our sanctuary rule of life or way of life and our personal ones together. And we need this. We need a pathway. We need a rule of life because the rhythms of our life, right? What we actually do, the habits and practices in our life, they form the desires of our hearts, which are what we want, which shape uh, by and large the direction of our lives, which is simply who we are becoming. And so we want to be honest, um, we want to be uh, clear-eyed and bright-eyed and looking at who we are actually becoming. And so o- over these next six weeks, as we spend time exploring the different aspects of our shared of life, the intention is that you would take time to consider the practices that you're already engaged in and the life-giving things that are, are, are built into the rhythm of your life and how they intersect with our shared one together. And so today, I want to talk about the inward path. And in the past, when I've uh, talked about our inward path, our inward direction, being made whole. This is becoming like Jesus. I've often looked at being sober-minded about our own brokenness, being sober-minded about uh, the ways in which God wants to heal every part of us, mind, body, soul. We'll talk about emotional health. We'll talk about the ways in which we um, have had things passed down to us that we want to undo. Uh, and today I want to go in a, in a little bit of a different direction because there's all sorts of angles and dimensions to talking about the inwards path, inward path. And before I dive in, I actually want to share up front the two shared practices that we're going to introduce in our home churches that when we put out this whole um, pathway rule of life guide towards the end of this series, you'll read about. And these two practices are our Sabbath. So we actually want to agree together that we, to be a part of Sanctuary Church, to be a part of this family is a community that stops and breaks and Sabbaths together and fasting there's a number of other practices we can put in there and we'll share those. But those are the two that we actually want to build into our rhythm. And so in, in Sabbath, by the way, before I jump on, Sabbath will kind of rope in other uh, practices like silence and solitude into that place of Sabbath. And I think that's important to point out because what we are noticing in this day and age, in our moment, something that we learn from patterning our lives after the life of Jesus. What we learn um, as we look to Jesus is that he was just rarely, if ever, in a rush. You never see him stressed out. You never see him snapping at people. He's always seems to be making time for people. And so the the inner journey, the inward path, being like Jesus, um, being, paying attention to the, 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 um, the, the onslaught of, of uh, energy that pushes us into more and faster is just having deep impact, significant impact on our soul. Let me, before I go any further, read to you, for those of you who are brand new to our church, when we say the inner path, the inward path, what we actually mean by this. We believe that God wants to bring about a new humanity by redeeming every part of us 
We embrace the salvation Jesus offers as the only hope for the healing of our relationships with God, with each other, with ourselves, and with all of creation. We believe that all of life is spiritual and that all of our fears and failures and brokenness can be restored and made whole. We value the inner journey because we want to be fully integrated people. I love that. Mind and body and soul, emotions and experiences all offered together to God. This leads us to follow Jesus in the way that he invested in those around him. The inward path. It's hard to find um, a story where Jesus was actually in a rush. You never see him stressed out. You never see him snapping at people, not making time for people. You just, you'd be hard pressed to turn a story in any of the gospels into uh, a moment where Jesus is hurried. In fact, if anything, I find stories of him delaying multiple days because there's like a crisis happening or he's up early spending hours in prayer uh, or spending weeks in the desert or taking a nap at like Peter's mother-in-law's house. My, my favorite is when he fell asleep in the front of the boat where there's like the storm happening and his disciples are freaking out. Like so many stories where Jesus refuses to be sucked in to hurry. So when we talk about the inward path, I think we need to talk about how much of an enemy hurry is to our lives. It's the issue underneath so many other issues. Or if it's not the issue underneath the issue, because we're so hurried, we have such a hard time paying attention to the brokenness and aches and pains happening in our own soul. If I asked you what you thought the great problems of our world were, my guess is that hurry maybe wouldn't immediately make your list. Now, David Foster Wallace, um, you all know I love to quote, in a famous commencement speech, I uh, told the story of these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? In other words, like the most obvious and ubiquitous and important realities are often the ones that are hardest to see and talk about. Hurry is one of them. It's everywhere. It's the water we are swimming in. So, so why take time to talk about this? Your, your life is made up of a series of moments, moments stacked upon other moments that are stacked upon other moments. You have a limited amount of moments and on a long enough timeline, the amount of moments you have left drops to zero. Fight Club reference. So, so how are we doing with them? How are you doing with your moments? Are you missing them? Are you awake to them? We run from appointment to appointment. We work brutal hours. We sleep far too little. So many of us feel chronically stressed and exhausted. And as a consequence of this, like nothing suffers right? Nothing at all. Not everything suffers. Your moments suffer. Are you so busy and so stressed and so hurried that you are in some way asleep? My, my daughter, my oldest daughter, um, shares my supernatural gift. It is truly a supernatural gift of being able to sleep almost everywhere and through almost everything. It's amazing. We are deep sleepers. Uh, and so I came home one night um, and uh, she is like in the, uh, as we're driving home, she fell asleep. She's in the third row 
uh, of our car. So we have this like big car for all of our kids and she's all the way in the back. It is incredibly annoying, especially because of all the car seats to actually climb back in to try to get her. Sometimes you can open the trunk and if she's just awake enough, she'll like crawl over the back and you could get her out that way. Um, it, it's just, it's, she's too big now to even try to carry her out. And so I need to, um, I need to like actually get her up. I need to unbuckle her, uh, at least to get to the door. And, and when I end up like poking her, like she just would promptly fall right back to sleep, like over and over and over and over. It was like just absolutely impossible to try to get her up. I mean, to the point of, I'm pretty sure I was like hurting her to get up. It was like Harper, my wife is yelling at her, Harper, get up, like nothing. And of course it ends with her like screaming as Rowan reaches over and gives her like a good pinch. I needed to try everything to the point of hurting her to actually get her up. I think hurry in some way can place us in a kind of coma can rob us of a conscious awareness of the life that we're actually living. And as followers of Jesus, of, of like the spirit of God moving through our world. So, so we need to do, like the inward path is like a resolve to say, I need to do everything possible to be more awake than I was before. Or you can say it another way. We, we sometimes talk about our temptation to walk away from Jesus, but I don't know if I've ever heard someone talk about walking like in front of him like moving faster than him. I think sometimes we move faster actually than Jesus. Makes me think of my wife and her family. They are all incredibly fast walkers. Everything feels like a race. They'll not be paying attention and look back and realize like they're not walking with me anymore. And I think it's the same with Jesus. We actually need, hear this phrase, we need to match the pace of Jesus. And to match his pace in this day and age will not look like speeding up. It will look like slowing down. This is how we pattern our life after. And we need to see hurry as a legitimate threat. I wish I had time to just pull up the file of research of article upon article about how uh, this, this, um, this just wave of speed is crushing our souls. It feels like a threat to everything from kindness to parenting, to our calling, to our emotional health. Um, and so I want to take a minute and talk like about how, how hurry is a threat to the sort of three conditions of the heart that undergird everything else. Three phrases that come up again and again in the scriptures that are, are really central to the way of Jesus. And these three conditions of the heart are love and peace Enjoy this trifecta comes up over and over, especially in the book of John and the writings of Paul. Because this is what we're after, right? First, we tend to think of love, joy, and peace as emotions, but they're more than that. They are the fruit of a God-centered life. Love and joy and peace are what arise when your heart is settled. One writer says they are the settled condition of the heart. So the heart in biblical literature, literature is imagined in three parts. It's your thinking, it's your feeling, and it's your will. So if you're taking notes, the heart is your thinking and your feeling and your will. What you think about, what you feel, what you want, what you desire. This is like the centermost core of what makes you, you. Love and joy and peace are not just emotions that come and go. They're more than that. The overall condition of what we think and how we feel and what we want. They're critical and they're incompatible, again, with a life of hurry. So quickly, let's look at these. One, love. You can't be a loving person and a hurried person. All of my worst moments are always when I am in a hurry or my mind is busy. Love takes time because people take time. You know that old cheesy line, 
<laughs> I feel like it comes out of the mouths of like every wise, wise old sage, like grandma or grandfather. It's like the, that love is spelled T-I-M-E. I think it's true though. It's like the best expression of love is to be present. And the best expression of love is to be attentive to someone, to delight in them. And that, that takes time to joy. Right? Mindfulness is finally catching on to what so many followers of Jesus and Hebrews have been, have been saying for centuries. This is the very, like, I don't know, it's a very public secret to happiness. It's not just being, um, it's just being, it's just being present in each and every moment, just being there, even if the moment is a hard one. People who don't miss the goodness of life and the goodness of God each and every moment are quite simply more joyful. And then three, be peace. It's difficult to be hurried and at peace. And this one may be especially obvious. No one is hurrying through life and feeling at rest. I see this on Sundays all the time. I'm sure it's true, right? Of, um, I don't know, I've met most of you in your work environment, like you're rushing around, rushing around, trying to cram everything in or trying to like post and respond to an email while the kids are like running around and and you just want God, like when you go to pray, like, God, would you give me peace? Like everything in your life is designed to go, 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 go. And then you just want God to drop this sort of like peace bomb on you. And I don't get me wrong, God can like do these miraculous things in people's lives. And I've seen that happen again and again. And he does like in his grace, like pull through in those like moments of like, God, please. But there's a deeper peace that comes from actually walking the way of Jesus where we cultivate a way of life that is by natural peaceful, is by nature peaceful. So if you desire to grow in love and joy and peace, we just have to slow down. I cannot live at the pace of America and live under the rule of love and joy and peace. His kingdom and his way are not of this world. John Ortberg says, I cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. True love and joy and peace will be cultivated in us when we respond with our lifestyle to Jesus's words. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, all who are weighed down, and I will give you rest. So Jesus offers like the simple, simple practices of rest. He offers us his freedom from hurry. And so I want to show you one, one place this shows up. Matthew 14, 23. And after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Luke 5, 15 to 16, the report went abroad concerning him and great multitudes, like big crowds gathered to hear and to be healed of their infirmities. But he withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. We read in Mark 1 that at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed and the whole city was gathered together about the door. And in the morning, a great while before the day, he rose and went out to a lonely place where he prayed, and Simon and those who were with him pursued him. So real quick, just as an example, what's the pattern that we see in just these few verses? Jesus is, one, sending people away, disappearing without warning before things are done, dismissing in some way those, who, those in need without an excuse or out an explanation and retreating to a place of rest. Sometimes he would take the disciples with him and say, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest with me for a while. He did not wait until they had completed all of their work. Let me say this again. And I'm saying this to you, but I'm really saying this to me. 
He did not wait until they had completed all of their work. He invited them to rest in the middle of their busyness. He would say, come with me, let's go. Let's go. We need to rest. We need to pray. If we are learning and relearning and relearning again anything from this moment, it's that we need to be ready. We need to be ready and at rest and unhurried so that we can experience interruption. That's kind of where I want to land this. This has so much to do with slowing and matching the pace of Jesus. Most of the teachings that we read about in the life of Jesus, most of these profound words that we read in the Gospels, like go back and just take a quick cursory look. If you're like someone who opens their Bible regularly, like look through the accounts of Jesus. Very rarely is this like a planned talk he's ready to give. Like people aren't showing up for like Ted Jerusalem talk or like a planned church service. They were almost always interruptions. His best teaching and the teachings that get codified in the Bible that we're still looking at thousands of years from now, most of them all rose up from an interruption. He was interrupted this one time when he was teaching inside of a house. Suddenly the ceiling, right, was falling in and four men lowered their friend into Jesus's lecture. We don't actually know what Jesus was talking about that day, but we do know the good news of like forgiveness and healing that he spoke into the life of the lame man who actually barged in. No idea what the, the brilliant talk he had prepared, but this is the interaction that we get that gets recorded for us. He was interrupted when he was alone praying and needed to grieve. He wanted to be alone, and when he found out when he found out about John the Baptist, his friend's death, he would try to slip away from a crowd in a boat. And when he would come ashore, um, there they would be waiting for him. These were not small gatherings; thousands of people just interrupting Jesus. He was interrupted as he traveled. You have blind Bartimaeus found Jesus on the road to Jericho and Jesus worked one of those incredible miracles that increasingly distinguished his mercy, his ministry and showed people that God's ear turned toward the poor and the needy and the oppressed, not away from them. We learn this when he was interrupted. He's interrupted when he was sleeping. He was in the boat with the disciples, like we mentioned before. They interrupted that sleep because they were afraid. Jesus used that moment to teach them about fear and about faith and about perspective. He was interrupted when he was eating. He was dining with the Pharisees at a wealthy home. And then you have this woman, this prostitute, barges through the door and past the gatekeepers to get to Jesus in that moment. He knows what she needs and he tells her that her sins are forgiven. He uses that moment to give insight into the love and generosity and grace and welcome of God. He was so often interrupted. Even his interruptions were interrupted. Once Jesus got out of a boat and was interrupted by a crowd, but a rich man named Jarius, right, who had the, the kind of clout to get through the crowd and in front of Jesus, and he asked him to come to him and to heal his daughter. Jesus agrees to this detour and begins to go with him. But as the crowd began to move, Jesus actually notices that someone touched him who had a serious need. Jesus asked who touched him. We found out that it was this woman who had been bleeding for years. This is the woman who likely had been ostracized for that time. Jesus sees her faith and he heals her. The interruption of the interruption was used to show God's care for everyone, regardless of their station and their position in society. Jesus was moving. My point is that Jesus was moving at a pace where he could see the interruptions for what they were. His pace made room to see and respond to interruptions. 
it dawned on me that if the Bible did not include the interruptions as a part of Jesus's ministry, we would not have much left. C.S. Lewis said, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending one day by day. What a person calls a person's real life is a phantom of one's own imagination. Those moments, those stacked moments that make up our life, most of those are interruptions. And so to match the pace of Jesus means I need to see the interruptions that come into my life and come into my week and into my morning, not as interruptions, but as the thing, the life, the ministry itself. I was literally trying to finish up this sermon as my youngest daughter was yelling and clamoring for food or attention or comfort or I don't know, whatever else a two and a half year old is. So I'm trying to rush this because I really want to make sure that as we're going through this series, I'm, I'm teaching. Normally we'd have you know, a guest teacher come in a week that I wasn't here, someone from our teaching team teach. Um, so I'm trying to do this before we're actually headed out of town for a few days. And I'm just thinking like, oh my goodness, like I just desperately, desperately need you to stop as you do when you are a father or a mother of young kids. And I just finally gave up and stopped writing and I picked her up. And of course, as you can imagine, had this just profound moment, like just taking a moment to spend time with her right now was everything that I needed to bring my attention to. My hurried week brought me to a place of not having enough time to write a proper ending <laughs> to this very talk. And then I, I couldn't help but think, actually, maybe this just is the ending to the talk. Now, let me say this as I close. My guess is that you largely, largely agree with all of this and assume that your hurried life is manageable because you've gotten used to it. Like the fish, you don't even realize you're swimming in it. But my guess is, for most of you, I'm sure some of you are killing it, but for most of you, you are swimming in a sea of hurry. And there is health and wholeness and healing offered to you. We can become more awake. We can match the pace of Jesus. He was a master of mindfulness and wellness long before those were buzzwords. He knew how to take time for himself and prioritize meaningful connections and limit what he consumed and simplify his life. And by learning from these daily habits, by, by together as a whole church, taking Sabbath and leaning into silence and solitude and going through seasons of fasting, not just from food, but digitally, we can discover how to live more peaceful, more fulfilling, more lives aligned with the way of Jesus, the abundant life that he spells out in John 10. So this week, if you're in home churches, we're gonna explore these practices. If you're not in a home church, we're gonna have opportunities for us to get our hands on this. As we head towards the end of this series, uh, we're gonna be giving, uh, handing out these packets that will help you walk through this, these shared practices and incorporate your own rule of life. We're going to put a card together for you so you can have that kind of front and center in your life uh, and know and rehearse and edit as we go through our days over the coming years um, to just get to, to refine our rule of life together, to enjoy what it is to move in the same direction 
Uh, and so in just a moment, uh, someone's going to come up and share a little bit more about these practices just for a moment and then lead us into a time of communion. And so I just leave you with this. Church, we all want our hearts to be settled in love and settled in peace and settled in joy. We want our lives to be able to receive interruption. A deep and true inner peace comes when our schedules are aligned with our values, when our schedules are aligned with our habits, when our schedules are aligned with our path. This is where true inner shalom that Jesus talks about comes from. Is your schedule aligned with the values of Jesus? And if not, if we can get better, hear these words from Jesus again. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Peace.